Hi everyone, welcome to the Wrath of the Ioceans podcast. Two friends discuss horror, fantasy, and science fiction books and topics. This is episode 12, The Big Book of Modern Fantasy, edited by Anne and Jeff Vandermeer. I'm Ron in Seattle, and in Middle Earth, on the Shire, they sing the ballad of Jake of the Nine Fingers and the Ring of Doom. Here on Earth, he's Jake in Boston. <laughs> hey there. Yeah. Um, no, that's really, that's my name for the uh, the big book of classic fantasy. Um, I do have all my fingers, by the way. But um, yeah, I may have creepy looking toes. So maybe, maybe we can work that. You know, that's kind of a deep cut for even uh, us Generation Xers because I uh, that's from the Ralph Bakshi. That's the Frodo the, the Nine Rings Fingers, guy. a classic <laughs> song, which I think Ron will sing for you now, right? You gonna do that? Frodo of the Nine Fingers and the, and ring, the ring of, of doom. doom. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Terrible. Their listenership just went right down the tooth. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I, I looked up Ralph Bakshi on on Wikipedia because, um, you know, he directed that Lord of the Rings movie yep. in 1978. And I Which I saw, loved, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I did. I did, too. That's the only stuff you had back then. And, yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, you had, you know, and I, I think we're it, was, it was only it was never finished. Yeah. 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 The, I, there was a there was a book that came out, actually, that had. um I, I believe I may be misremembering this, but um, cells from the second half that was never actually produced. Wow. And there was a return of the King mm-hmm. um, animated television program. Right. Oh, so, okay. And he never the second half of the movie. Um, and the, and the, the return of the King was more like the Hobbit. So yes, much, yes. much cheesier. Yes. Or you yes. could argue the Lord of the Rings was cheesy too, but I, yes. I refuse to believe that. <laughs> But that was our Lord of the Rings back before the year. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's ran true. with it. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's interesting because I remember it was on TV. That's how I saw it. Um, I, don't, I don't know why it was on TV, but uh, at least well, that's you, my memory. You definitely saw the, not the Return of the King. You saw the uh, the Lord of the Rings. I think so. I went, yeah. you know, I could be wrong. It could be the Return of the Kings that I saw yeah. on TV. No, I saw the Lord of the Rings in the um, in the theater with my okay. brother, who yeah. was a nerd at one point. <laughs> and we went home and put on our slippers, and <laughs> and we were hobbits. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was that was back in the days of brotherly <laughs> bonding. Uh, I was looking through Ralph Bakshi's filmography, and I spotted the film Wizards, which oh yeah, seven and. Funny thing about that movie is I still have not seen it. And now, um, what? you remember our good friend Ben, um, Ben Avalon, Boston? Yeah, yeah. Oh, Ben, Ben, <laughs> yeah. excuse me. Dang. <laughs> well, he he lived. Did you ever go to this place on Newberry Street? That little not box. On Newberry lived, Street, no. Yeah, yeah. He had, he lived in this box on Newberry Street because you know that was a place to be seen and and see. And yeah, it was a hip, hip place to live, but yeah, he lived in a box and, and, and in the summer he had, he had no air conditioning at all. And you know, this, he, he had been telling me about wizards for the longest time. They was hunting it down. This is back in the days, folks, where trying to find a movie in oh, yeah. some obscure video, you know, store was, was a challenge. So he, he'd been telling me about wizards for the longest time saying it was epically good and I, and you know, I should, I should watch this. And so good is a relative found, term, by the way, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he I've found it, it twice. he found it somewhere, I think somewhere in Harvard square. And, um, and I went to his place and to, to watch it in a hot August night in his, in his apartment in, in the, on Newbury Sounds street. Almost erotic, but <laughs> sorry, this is a family show. I'm, you can edit that out. <laughs> and, and <laughs> And uh, I could not stay awake watching that. I, it was, the, I think, the the thing you shouldn't be watching when it's just a humid summer night is 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 an epic, it's you know, not that. animated film about wizards. And yeah, I, I probably kept, Blue Lagoon. Is yeah, maybe yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I kept I kept waking up and and thinking it had ended, and it kept going on and on. That's it's, my it's only memory of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. it's not short and. Uh, I, it, yeah, it actually pr- proved as part of the basis for what is ultimately my favorite role-playing game, which is called Gamma World. Uh, 
which is uh, you know really weird like mutants and like crazy like yeah. sorcery and technology integration and all that stuff um but it's it is it is a little dated okay to watch to watch that movie it, yeah, um okay. i don't know if it has aged particularly well yeah um but it was very influential in the in the kind of gaming seed with ga- gaming nerds at the time yeah. um and it did uh you know, it had a message that I suppose back in the when in the seventies, like resonated with people. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it, <laughs> um, and uh, I might track it down again now that we've had this conversation. But um, yeah, I, yeah. I'm not I'm not sure it's for everybody. <laughs> oh, I, I, I do I do want to see if I didn't look didn't bother to look see where it may be on streaming. I'm sure it's on somewhere with all the streaming services these days. I'd like to, I finally will check it out. So, Hey everyone, before we get started on, on uh, talking about the big book of modern fantasy, just want to take the time to thank our listeners, Uh, our friends and family as usual have been supportive um, to us from the very beginning, but uh, we've also had new listeners join us from Wisconsin, Quebec, Norway, Australia, and France. So thank you for um, listening and Welcome. thank you for listening to our podcast. All right, Jake. So let's get to the big book of modern fantasy edited by Anna Jeff Vandermeer. You know, it's funny when we've started, when you suggested this topic, I initially thought, hey, this is going to be great because I really haven't been involved in any fantasy stuff since Lord of the Rings. I, you know, I love the Lord of the Rings movie and and I and read the books when I was younger, so I was looking forward to reading the Big Book of Modern Fantasy. But it's funny that from the first um, short story I read, I realized, hey, I actually have been into fantasy for quite some time. Yeah, Game Game of Thrones, <laughs> and the and and recently The Witcher, which Jake and I were talking about at length when we saw each other in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, um last year. Don't, um, don't, you know, yeah, don't, all we don't did was say to me that, that that earworm just hasn't popped right into your head. With, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Song, we it's won't in there right now. Thanks a lot. <laughs> maybe, maybe some other time we'll sing that one. Well, I, I will only say that Jake and I sang the toss the a coin to your witcher ballad probably like every five minutes. Yeah. Because we couldn't stop singing that, that song. That song. That's pretty sad really, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but I, mean, I, uh, yeah, I drank so, a lot on that. Movie, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You had an early night, if I recall. I, I think you're right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. yeah. So you don't mean I remember we sang the witcher theme song pretty much. Yeah. On the so, hour. You're, so you're, <laughs> who knew you were a fantasist at heart? Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that, that was kind of the neat thing. And, and for me, I, when I was reading through the short stories, that I just thought, yeah, that's that's the great thing about fantasy. You, you don't need to have some basis of like this is the the science of it. It's just a lot of fun. And then mm. I've heard the argument that Star Wars is not science fiction; it's really fantasy. And the more I've read the big book of fantasy, I just that's absolutely true. They happen to have lightsabers and spaceships, but yeah. there is, but they also have the Force and the Sith. And right. it's um, it's about is it's it really is a fantasy based. Yeah, you based. might argue that it's science fantasy, right? Remember that sort of uh, math. Oh yeah, genre that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah if it, it's more on the fantasy side than the science fiction side. Yeah, yeah. Everything that happens is pretty implausible. Yeah, yeah. Well, Jake, um, why, don't you, why don't you tell the listeners here about the big book of modern fantasy, and um, you know how you got introduced to it, and you know how how you how you approached reading the stories in the book. Cause uh, I should tell people it's an anthology. It has a bunch of short stories, but yeah, I'll let Jake get into the details here. Yeah. So it's a monster, right? I mean, it's yeah, the, it is. Size is like uh, nine by 12 or something like that. 500,000 <laughs> words. Yeah. Densely packed into double column pages. Right. I mean, it's, 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 it really is huge. It really is the big book. And in fact, it's um, the largest collection of fantasy stories from the post-World War II era. Oh, wow. Like, period. Um, so, and, and it's in keeping with um, the Vandermeer's uh, sort of mission for, you know, the last uh, decade or so of, of creating these large anthologies. Um, the, the first one that they did was uh, The Weird, not, not categorized as a big book, but a big book nonetheless, which is really a, a fantastic collection of um, short, weird fiction. Um, and a lot of that sort of has crossover. So I feel like they, um, at some level, uh, t- 
stories from that book might have gone into the big book of modern fantasy okay or into the classic fantasy by uh, for that matter right um so there are a lot of authors who sort of repeat and cross genres and um you know certainly lovecraft is one of those but uh michael moorcock and we'll talk more about later um stephen king uh so, so you know there there are there are a lot of those authors yeah. that might have appeared in all of these books um, but then they went on to do uh, a big book of science fiction, which is actually pretty great. Um, they're all great, but um, a- and then a big book of classic fantasy, mm-hmm. which I which I don't own, um, but I do in one form or another have many of the stories that are in that book. So um, you know some of those are really uh, heavily anthologized. Uh, but one thing the Vandermeers do go out of their way to do is actually introduce. Um, work in translation and maybe some uh, authors who might be uh, less well-known in the States or sort of in the Western world um, to their credit. So um, there's a really nice mix of, of authors in all of these books. Yeah. I noticed that Um, it was nice to go through the table contents and you see just a whole uh, bunch of international authors and they, they do a little mini bio before the bios are good, huh? Yeah, they're actually yeah, they are good. Yeah, reads in themselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they were, these really are well-done anthologies. And unfortunately, if you read the um, the introduction, it sounds like the Vandermeers won't be doing any more of these anthologies, um, which, you know, I guess they've hit on, you know, most of the major genres mm. that kind of concern us. Um, but uh, I, I think they're really good anthologists. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jeff Vandermeer, of course, is also just a well-known um, fiction writer in his own right. Um, we've talked a little bit about him before. And, uh, you know, I knew him when, or I yeah. read him when. I never knew <laughs> It'd be nice to meet him. But, um, but he is uh, most well-known, I think, for uh, the Southern Reach trilogy, okay, uh, which includes Annihilation, which became that movie that nobody apparently saw with uh, Natalie Portman. Oh it's yes, actually yes. a pretty good adaptation. Yeah. yeah, that that is a good that's a good movie. I didn't realize it was adapted from a Yeah. So that's um I actually like the the middle novel in that trilogy best. Um and uh, but all of them sort of contain the Jeff Vandermeer's abiding concerns of uh nature and the environment. He loves foxes. Um so there's you know there's all kinds of <laughs> stuff going on that you that sort of repeats in subsequent novels like Born and yeah. um uh, he just, I think he just published a new um, novel called The Hummingbird, yeah. Hummingbird something or other. Yeah. Um, sorry, this is what it means to be 50 plus as the things <laughs> just don't pop out. Um, in any case, a terrific writer, uh, one that I've long admired. And um, everyone should read the, everyone who's interested in genre fiction should definitely check out the Southern Reach trilogy, yeah. which is a classic. So for our listeners, if you're, if you're brand new to um, fantasy and you just, I, I, what I think that's great about this book is, you know, if, if you go to the fantasy section in the bookstore or, you know, online, it, it almost seems intimidating because there's just so many to choose from. And there's, but, and that's why I do like this big book of modern fantasy, because you can pretty much pick it up anywhere and read, read through it and choose any story. And it's just a lot of fun. But uh, Jake, there, there's certainly authors in here who are considered, you know, some classic authors, some must reads that you know, you, you would say, and who, who would those authors be and which stories would you recommend just to, you know, help. Yeah. Them, well, I mean, the, you know, the first thing that you notice when you open this, right. See, I thought when you said you didn't realize you were into fantasy was that um, there are authors in here who are not necessarily known for fantasy writing. Right. So um, they're not genre writers per se. Right. But they write, they're writing in the fantasy mode. Mm-hmm. Or they're, they've been fantasists all along, but somehow they've been branded as literary fiction, right? Yeah. So they don't show yeah. up in that science fiction section in your bookstore. Uh, people like um, Jorge Borges or um, Julio Corsar or Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Paul Bowles, uh, Italo Calvino, Hurakami Murakami, uh, Huraki, sorry. I always just call him Murakami because I mess that up when I speak. <laughs> Murakami, who's written one of my favorite novels, which is The Wind-Up Bird Chronicle. Mm, okay which if you just like literary fiction is like it's definitely top 10 for me go out and read that um but he's a terrific writer amy bender karen joy fowler and and uh nabokov 
right? I mean, oh, yeah, these, yeah. These, most of these writers are not known as fantasy writers per se, but yeah. they're writing in the fantasy mode um, <clears throat> and they appear in this volume with some, um, some really outstanding stories. Yeah, I noticed so, that. I noticed the author G.G. Ballard was in here too, which I I, 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 I read it and I thought, yeah, again, same thing. I thought, oh, this is interesting. He's not a, I would consider him a fantasy author by any means. Yes, yeah. So he's best uh, well known, I think, to uh, to modern readers as the author of Empire of the Sun, mm -hmm. um, which isn't a genre novel, right? I mean, it's sort of a war war novel, very well written uh, and very accessible. Mm -hmm. um, but he was uh, he was a pioneer of that new wave science fiction that Michael Moorcock um, was uh, sort of gathering up um, back in the 60s and 70s. Uh, and he wrote some very he wrote some very uh, sort of cutting edge um, science fiction <laughs> like the Drowned World, Concrete yeah. Island, uh, Crash, which yes, I, I, I read Crash. Actually, read yeah, yes. um, which, uh, be, yeah, the film with by uh, David Cronenberg. <laughs> yes. That's one of his as well. So he's um, he's sort of writing in a number of different genres. But yeah. um, for 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 a time, he was considered not a fantasist, but a science fiction writer, really kind of edgy science fiction writer. And he even wrote some stuff that kind of ran afoul of um, uh uh, what's what's the kind of law that I'm looking for right now? Obscenity laws. Um, yeah, back in the day. So he's an interesting yeah. case. Yeah. Um, but he actually that was one of the books that I was going to single out, the Drowned Giant. Yes, uh, yes. Actually, yes. yeah. That, that's what that's one I read. Yeah, yeah pretty fun story. Too, yeah. What did you think of that? I I did like it. The funny thing is, I again, it's not what I would expect J.G. Ballard to have written because I'd, I'd read Crash, but in some ways, what the way I looked at it was, it's almost like like a modern retelling of that pulp poem, the poem Ozy, Ode to Ozymandias, because yeah. the thing is just degrading over a period of time. And it's, Right, you have this giant sort of godlike entity that sort of yeah. just kind of rots away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, um, his, his penis gets put into a yeah. uh, museum exhibit, and he's like, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. At, same, at the same time, he's, he's almost approaching a story like, it's almost like a, a, a it's almost like a, 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 a journalistic approach to it. Mm -hmm. And it's very matter know, of fact. Yeah, very matter of fact. And and um I suppose uh you know it when they talk about the, the bones giants and where they end up and people think they're they're whale bones, I, yeah. I figured, oh, that really is like a, a postmodern fantasy, a fairy tale where they're saying, Oh, the the bones there, there were giants, but now people think they're whale bones, and no one will ever really know. And I thought that was a that was a good way to to you know to to wrap up that story. But yeah, it was it was it, it certainly was like this this modern postmodern approach for a a fairy tale, and I thought that was very well written. Yeah, and it sort of stretches the idea of what fantasy is, right? Yeah. So um, you can say these are not all fantasies of, of a single stripe, right? Yes. I mean, there's yes, a yeah. Delaney book in here that's ostensibly about dragons, um, yeah, but it's yeah. really about um, economic inequality. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, so a lot of these, a lot of these stories are trying to convey a message uh, that you might not associate if you're just a Tolkien fan and interested in what's called high mm. fantasy. Um, you're, you're getting, you might be getting a kind of an unexpected kind of lesson message theme here um, in, in this fantasy. And, yeah. and if you're looking for that, not, not to say there's anything wrong with high fantasy. Right. And if you're looking for a lot of that, you could go back to the big book of classic fantasy. Um, but these really are, they're really modern and or, or postmodern stories. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, for that reason, they're, they're a little more, more, maybe more interesting to um, the general reader. Yeah. Um, that said, there are some, some squarely fantasy stories in this book, and um, some of them are stories that I grew up with and, and loved. Hey, listeners, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll be right back. I'm Sylvain Neuvel, author of The Themis Files and The History of What Comes Next, and you're listening to Wrath of the Eye Ocean. Hey, that was uh, Sylvain Neuvel, friend of the show, 
uh, who just joined us for the last episode. Um, we just want to remind our listeners that a history of what comes next is now um, available. And we have a link in our show notes of where you can get that book. So yeah, we enjoyed that. Yeah. Yeah. It was a yep. fun interview. It was a, it was a lot of, yeah, fun. it really was. So yep. please, uh, um, if you haven't heard it, please, uh, a listen in on episode 11 um, and you'll hear Sylvain talk all about the history of what comes next. And he'll even talk about some is uh, his action figure collection and his, uh, his costume costumes from, for Halloween and Comic-Con. So, so check that episode out. Well, Hey, back to the yeah, big so, book of bad, back to the big book of modern fantasy. So, right. Michael Moorcock, I was talking about. So yeah. uh, again, he is really formative in this, um, this new wave science fiction movement from the sixties um, and seventies, of which Ballard was a part. Um, but his story, uh, it's really more of a novella. The dreaming city contains his probably his best known character. Who's Elric of Melnabone. Who's <laughs> the emperor of this uh, decadent kind of dying uh, race. Um, that co- comes into conflict with humans called called the Younger Kingdoms. Um, and he wields this sword called Stormbringer, which may actually be more famous than the character, which is the soul-sucking black blade, right? Um, All right. It was a response in uh, some ways, this, these stories that, of which this is an example, um, were kind of a response to uh, Conan, right? Because the this emperor is he's sort of this one... Um, Albi- not even one, albino um, kind of man who requires drugs in order to uh, maintain his health uh, as opposed to the sinewy barbarian Conan. Um, <laughs> but in some ways is also an homage to Robert E. Howard, but um, okay. yeah, but he's, he's one of my um, definitely one of my favorites and um, he, what he calls uh, epic fantasy. Um, he actually recruited other authors to um, define or to create a label for. And one of those authors was Fritz Lieber, uh, who appears in this volume with a Fafford and Gray Mouser story called Lean Times and Lankmar. Yep. Uh, Lieber came up with this uh, f- phrase, uh, sword and sorcery fantasy. And that stuck, right? That happened around 1960. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah a term that we use today to describe a certain kind of fantasy uh, where the, um, you know, the heroes may be, uh, or the protagonist may be amoral. Um, uh, there's a sort of um, kind of lesser or, or deeply problematic character uh, who faces generally someone with powers that he or she does not possess, right? A sorcerer or a wizard or something like that um, and solves problems mostly through violence or treachery. Um, so I, I didn't realize that was a, that was a way to define a fantasy genre. I just always thought that was yeah. a catch. I thought I always thought it was a catchphrase they used in the, those B movies to, to help excite you about the, the movie. <laughs> like, yeah. It's sort of both. Right. Sorceries in this movie. Yeah, no, it does, have a, it does have a history behind it. Right. Um, and, and it's stuck, you know, to, so, um, uh, well, it makes sense. On, it makes yeah, a lot of sense. <laughs> what kind of, what kind of advertising you do, it may or be not treated with respect, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, it is a, a species of fantasy, um, which I oddly find myself, uh, enjoying. Yeah. I mean, it's not particularly <laughs> cerebral, but it's satisfying in some way. Um, but, uh, this, the Fafford and Gray Mouser story is actually pretty, pretty okay. good story. Um, we have Fafford, who's this kind of typical barbarian, and the gray mouser who's kind of a sneak in a cut purse. Uh, and they've had these adventures, but they've sort of come into conflict with each other and they kind of go their separate ways. Uh, Fafford takes up religion and gray mouser takes up extortion. Uh-huh. And eventually they, they rub up <laughs> against each other in a problematic way. And, uh, you know, much high, many hijinks ensue. Uh, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, they become friends again. And, uh, uh-huh. yeah, it's actually pretty, pretty fun story. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So I definitely recommend that for, or the Moorcock, if you're looking for something more traditional, mm-hmm. uh, but these are authors that I, I sort of grew up with. What were the ones that one of the authors or stories you read that were at, at maybe a new author or someone you didn't think of as fantasy and just really surprised you how, how good it was. Um, um, yeah, there is one in here that I've, um, I really enjoyed. There's, there's um, again, there are more kind of, traditional fantasy writing in here like the ursula yeah. Gwynn story is is great 
um, and certainly has a message about the needs of the many versus the needs of the one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, <laughs> to quote Spock, um, uh, that's a good, great story. The Joanna Russ story uh, of uh, Alex, the female barbarian, uh, basically saves her husband and um, you know overcomes a godlike uh, being who's also a kind of a knucklehead, and that's a great um, sort of set piece for the thread of feminism that begins to run through science fiction yeah. and fantasy about, about the time that was so in the sixties and seventies. Um, she's probably best known for um, the female man, I think is the name of the novel. Hmm. Um, but she is very much it's as was Le Guin, uh, very instrumental in kind of adding uh, female protagonists and um, feminist concerns to science fiction and fantasy. Those are definitely worth checking out. Uh, the one that I was thinking of in particular, I was like, oh, I haven't read this before, and I really like it, um, was Mogo by Alberto Chimal. I don't know if I've, I'm saying this correctly. Mogo. Um, yeah, that's way, way towards the end of the book. But it's about a, uh, a boy who has an odd sort of Oedipal relationship to his grandmother, um, or at least a deeply problematic relationship with his grandmother. Uh, who discovers or thinks that he discovers that when he covers his eyes, he becomes invisible, which of course is something that animals do all the time. Right? <laughs> um, uh, but it's never really clear whether or not this is all in the boy's head um, or there's actually something to what he's experiencing. Um, and it does not like many of these stories does not have a particularly happy ending to it oh wow um but it's an ending that at least seems to confirm that what the boy had been experiencing was in fact real um and, and it's a story i hadn't encountered before and I, I again i very much enjoyed that yeah i just um, bookmarked that one i'm gonna read that one tonight yeah I, angela carter who we talked about before is in here twice um she's the only writer who gets into this book twice uh, and well deserved um uh, another uh feminist fantasist um, who wrote, I've uh, recommended this book before the bloody chamber, which is, um, a, about as great a piece of fantasy, mm-hmm. um, or it's really, it's a collection of short stories, but, um, about as good as you're going to read, uh, is in here twice. Um, as I said, Stephen King's in here. Um, mm-hmm. you know, there, there are just a ton of stories. It's really a very good collection. Yeah. And again, I just want to tell the listeners, I, I, I didn't think of myself as someone who read fantasy books or at least i haven't in quite some time and it, it really is just nice to pick up this book and start anywhere uh, as jake mentioned there there are classics you should you should probably check out you know and it's a good way to understand the you know different genres of fantasy but yeah it's it they're all enjoyable and and honestly jake i haven't really read a short a, a an anthology of short stories since since college uh, it, it was nice to actually just sit down and you you read a couple of stories and, and just dip your toe in any yeah yeah right yeah, and, yeah. Uh, read something and, that you can finish in one set it like yeah yeah, yeah and it's that unity it's, of effect that uh edgar Allan poe is talking about right yeah yeah um and and you, you get the satisfaction of reading a complete narrative in a relatively brief period of time yes yes yeah yeah i'll, I'll it, dip into sometimes i'll have a, like a collection of short stories piled on you know the novel that i'm reading and a piece of science fic of um no. not science fiction non-fiction just so that you can you can kind of change modes and get something yeah, a little bit yeah. different when you're yeah you know, p- potentially slogging through something else <laughs> well, um, well let's, let's say that you're you're fairly new to reading fantasy um and and i i, I certainly would recommend the big book of modern fantasy as, as a place to start for 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 anyone who's who's interested but jake what would you say would be the next step for for a new reader to fantasy like once you've picked up this anthology what, like what's a good fantasy series to start with that you think would be you know enjoyable but not um not so uh I, mean, I, I would say something that's just very approachable. Like, yeah, I'm not what I think. What, what anybody, I, see, I think, with yeah. what I, with what I yeah. say here. Um, the other than the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, the probably the single most uh, formative or, or, to my young mind, important um, titles or works of fantasy that I read growing up was uh, Ursula Le Guin's Earthsea trilogy. Um, which eventually became four or maybe even five books plus a collection of short stories. 
Um, but it's uh, it was aimed initially at young adults, but it's such a classic. Yeah. Uh, and so well told that if you're just dipping your toe into fantasy, it's a really good place to start. Yeah. Right. I, I, I love those books. They're they're, um, Yeah. They're just fantastic. Uh, actually, I'll, I'll, I'll check that out. Um, so. So, yeah, obviously, uh, you know, check out The Hobbit. Uh, Moorcock. Moorcock, you have an interesting case because he's written this um, uh, eternal champion uh, protagonist or archetype that shows up in um, many, many novels uh, and many, many short stories. Uh, so that Elric is just kind of an aspect of something that plays out across um, this colossal body of work, right? Um, he's not even my favorite eternal champion, but um, <laughs> you know, if you wanted to read, if you wanted to dip into a seminal piece of, of sword and sorcery fiction, you could do worse than Michael Moorcock as well. So um you know, the, the Elric books are actually uh, a fairly easy read. Um, he claimed he's not, a, he's not a particularly good writer. He's a bad writer with good ideas. But I think he said, I'd rather be a bad writer with good ideas than a good writer with no ideas. <laughs> so, so he's also the one I think I've mentioned this maybe during our time travel episode, who yeah. popularized the phrase multiverse. Right. Oh, okay. That's right. So everyone that. who, everyone in, um, you know, superhero in comics or, a science fiction who uses the term multiverse, but was a debt to Michael Moorcock, whether they realize it or not. So, okay. um, yeah, he's definitely another good place to start. Um, who is not a Susan Cooper? Uh, again, for younger people, um, is actually a good place to go. I don't think Susan Cooper is actually in this volume. Um, there were some other exclusions that I thought, oh, well, I guess so. Uh, Harlan Ellison isn't in here, right? Oh, he yeah. Wrote fantasy too. Um, <laughs> that you know. That said, he's been anthologized by the Vandermeers and other and other yeah, yeah. Uh, books, yeah. so it's not like he's completely excluded from their, um, mm -hmm. you know, from their interests. But uh, he certainly fit in here too. <laughs> and if you're looking for a master of speculative fiction who um, writes in the short story mode. He's he's my guy. Yes, right? yes he's yeah, like the yeah. you know, pièce de résistance of yes, um, yes, speculative yeah. fiction yeah, short story I, writers. Yes, uh, Ray Bradbury. I mean, I will say that growing up, um, there were fewer choices for um, women science fiction and fantasy writers than there were men, and that's that's sort of unfortunate. You had like um, old standbys like Patricia McKillop and. Uh, and McCaffrey, who wrote all those dragon books. Mm -hmm. And I certainly read those, um, but there just weren't as many options. Uh, and um, I, I think that's definitely changed over the past couple of decades. Uh, but yeah, I mean, much of what I read, un unfortunately, for, for good or ill, was um, was male writers. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. uh, But Le Guin goes some ways to kind of, um, she's a really good antidote, I think, yeah, too. Yeah. Yeah, some of that hyper masculinized um yeah. sword and sorcery fiction, <laughs> right you know it really it really is hyper masculinized in a lot of ways and joanna russ kind of tears that down too so um you know they're both good good yeah. ways to kind of dip your toe into a broader perspective about fantasy yeah yeah so um so listeners i i i, I enjoy the big book of modern fantasy i should also point out too that jake and i both have hard copies of of this because and I think that's really the best way to enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, it really is. It's big. <laughs> it is. It's certainly a brick. And then I have to admit, when Jake first mentioned that that we should look into this, and I got it in the mail, I I was like, wow, this it was just a big package, and and I figured it almost seemed like how are we going to do a whole show on this? Um, you know, I think I had like a week or so to prepare, but truth was it was easy because it's just it, again like i said very enjoyable to sit down and read some short stories and i i read i read a couple every night before before the show and it was did you have a favorite of the ones that you read um you know i liked the 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 drowned giant but i also read a book i, I read a short story by greg bear yeah and i think it's called the, again the normally White, the science fiction right? yes yes yeah. yeah in fact that caught my eye and it's called, I think it's called the white horse child. Sorry. I just mm -hmm. lost the page. Yeah. White, the white horse child. And, um, that it's actually one of the longer short stories that I read uh, in, in this book. So, 
Um, but yeah, very descriptive, haunting, a uh, mm-hmm. little, little creepy. And again, yeah. I like the idea again of like this modern postmodern fantasy approach. Um, it, it certainly feels like a fantasy because it's a, it's a child who's meeting a, a strange person on the side of the road and, they want to tell them stories and weird things ensue from there. So, uh, and, uh, and I, I thought it really felt like this postmodern fairy tale, but felt more of a, a fairy tale than, than say the JG Ballard one, but it was, um, it, I, I was very compelled to keep reading it. So, um, yeah, there is, there is that level of weirdness about them that, that could, yeah. of some of these stories that could yeah. put them in a different anthology. Yeah, but I think is also kind of part and parcel with yeah. the, the postmodern fantasy approach. I think you're right. Yeah, where there's a twist, or you know, thing, things are almost surreal in some level, yeah. or yeah. and things don't always end well. It's not, it's yeah. not necessarily yeah. a happy ending yeah. in these short yeah. stories. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, you know, that's that's I guess one of the major differences between uh, this modern fantasy approach and um, yeah. and the classic fantasy from the other book. Yeah, but uh, yeah, listeners, I, I I've. I found it very enjoyable for, again, for someone who thought he wasn't into fantasy, but I really, really am. But um, just picking up the book and, and reading anywhere. And, and, and like Jake said, Hey, there's classics. You should, you should check out those. You know, there's, you know, authors who really know for fantasy. And then there's others who are, you, you wouldn't think that they'd be part of this genre. And I'd say just pick up anywhere. Anyone that if the title looks interesting or again, the author's bios are on top of each, story so you know read the bio if it seems like an interesting background just dig into the story and you can read a couple a night and and you know you wrap it up it's it's quite fun but yes please go on and get the big book of modern fantasy yeah have fun with it and it's not it's it's kind of a bargain at 25 bucks right oh yeah it, is. it really is yeah, i mean it's um yeah it's well worth you picking up as are as other vandermeer's other anthologies Uh, so Ron, so what what else is going on with you? Well, hey, um, I just wanted to um, talk about a book called Name of the Wind by Patrick Rothruss. It's a, this is a shout out to our listener Czar in Redmond, Washington. He actually recommended this book to me, and I, I've I've just started it, but it's it's a fantasy book. <laughs> And he he mentioned it to me, and um, I did I did tell um, Zara that we will be doing the Big Book of Modern Fantasy. But um, I just started reading this, and it's it's really drawn me in so far. So um, I, I I recommend that it's been it's been fun to read. I've also been watching Debris on NBC. It's from the same showrunner oh, yeah. as as the guy who did fringe, mm-hmm. I have to get the name here, but you know, so far I'm, you know, the funny thing is you have two characters who are essentially like the Mulder and Scully of, of I should first, first of all, I should say that debris from an alien spaceship is falling down onto earth. And these, which happened and the, and, yeah, the <laughs> and, and, and this team is assigned to determine where the debris is and, 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 and help people who go, who are experiencing strange phenomena due to this debris. So you have a, a you have a female agent and a male agent, and you immediately think this is going to be like the same dynamic as Mulder and Scully. It's going to be a lot of fun. It? <laughs> no, it's not. And maybe that's the hard part. It's like it's hard to live up to the X Files, right? Uh-huh. So maybe that's the the tough part. But on the other hand, uh, you know the the character, the male character in particular, who seems who comes across as flat to me. I think he's supposed to be distrustful of his partner for whatever reason because they're not really in the same um, organization. One's on the CIA, the CIA, or something like that, and the other one's on MI six in, in in England. So they have this mutual distrust of each other, and it's it's going to be a little bit of a drag right now so uh, watching the show like that. But the, the idea is very interesting and I, I, I the, the, there's a lot of production behind it. And, and I, I, it's, it's always, I always try to root for a show. That's a, a new piece of science fiction on a, yeah. on a network, on a network. Uh, mm. So, so I, I'm rooting for it. I watch it, but uh, the the other day I was watching, and my mind started drifting a little bit just because that you know it lacks the humor of X Files. And again, it's a different approach. They're, they're trying to show that they're you know they're going through a very heavy situation. Every situation super critical, 
Uh-huh. Maybe take you this know, off a little yeah, bit. Yeah. 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 Well, let's have some Walter and Scully banter here. Please. Banter. You know? Yeah. I mean, even, a- even Fringe, they, those those characters were hilarious. Uh-huh. I mean, Walter and Peter and you know um Olivia just just you know uh, have you seen talking. evil? Yes, I did. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's another like, oh, is this gonna be a Mulder and Skull? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 not exactly. Yeah. Um yeah. I, 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 I miss Luke Cage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 You go yeah. from Luke Cage to this guy. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's tough. I guess it's just chemistry between, you know, actors and Yeah, actors. you're really right. Yeah. yeah. It, it's tough because, you know, you put a show together, it costs X amount of money, a budget, and everything looks great, but you know, you just you just have a piece that just doesn't seem to be working. But I'm rooting for it, and I, I hope I hope people start watching it. Oh, the other thing I wanted to add, Jake, it's not really a what else, but I did see that there's going to be an Exorcist sequel, uh, directed by someone named uh, David Gordon Green, who directed um, the uh, remakes of Halloween. Uh-huh. And um, there. People, I guess it's like a, this is a direct sequel to the movie, uh, the, the original, and which has been and, was also done and yeah, done poorly. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I like The Exorcist. Well, Exorcist, well, Exorcist Three two I would, was horrible. Exorcist yeah. Three was okay, but the only reason it was okay is because um, what's the, who's that character actor who plays the George C. E. Scott? No, well, he, you know. Oh no, like, I know that Brad certain, Dorf, Brad Dorf, Brad Dorf. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, Brad, so oh, he's oh, always yeah, fun yeah. to watch, right? And there's yeah, a creepy yeah, yeah. scene with the, the the first time that I think we, which has now become sort of a, a hackneyed kind of approach, the yeah, yeah. madman crawling along the ceiling kind of thing. Yes, yes, yes. Like yes. in that movie, it was creepy. Yeah, but yeah. It played out at this point. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, but you're right; it wasn't bad, yeah, and it yeah. was actually based on the sequel to The Exorcist. Yeah. So they added yeah, that, yeah, so the, yeah, the book yeah. itself. Yeah. Um, but I just it's, it seems like a real big risk. Yeah, yeah. I um, yeah. I, I should mention that I, I I had an opportunity to be in The Exorcist Three as a as an extra. I oh, you were I, that they guy. Were, they, yeah, they were filming. <laughs> I was Brad Dora's friend. <laughs> uh, no, they were filming in um in Georgetown in mm-hmm. um in Washington D.C. Uh, um, one summer. And actually, it was pretty cool because when you're walking around there, they 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 were using the Georgetown campus for um for for filming, but they they didn't use these scenes at all. Um, but the, it was pretty cool because um we went up to like it's like one of these gothic looking buildings and on the on campus, and they had created like this fake fog that they put over the building. So I was walking back from a bar or something like that. And it, it was really creepy to walk towards there, but you could see like this fog going over this building and there was a lot of cameras out and in, and I was kind of walking on the set and the guy said, if you just want to kind of walk by, that's okay. You know, because you know we want to have students, you know, you kind of look like a student. So just walk past that. So, so there was, there was a few of us who did that and I thought I'd be in this movie, but they never did use that scene. So. All right. Well, then I won't watch it again. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you can get back. To it, but I remember the steps. Oh, the yes. Yes. I went to the steps. I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I remember you showing me those. Um, yeah. 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 That was kind of fun. It's kind of fun to be in the middle of a yeah, oh, some, yeah. film something here, but I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, they, they also filmed something for um, <laughs> Knives Out in, at the Marlboro. Oh, that's right. um, that was, yeah, 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 where yeah. I got my license. <laughs> but no, um, not that interesting. I guess. <laughs> no, I saw that Knives Out that they filmed it in, in Marlboro. So yeah, I thought no, that was pretty I, cool. I had been to some of those locations. So yeah. I want to give a shout out to one of my um, favorite, I guess, a fantasy writer. He, he didn't write much. But he did write something that uh, I love very much. Uh, Norton Juster, who is the author of The Phantom Tollbooth, passed away. Oh, uh, yes, yes. He was 91, so that's a great run. Um, but I, I wouldn't be sitting talking to you without that book. Yes, yes. Like, that... I, um, and, in fact, you know, I, I don't know as like dip your toe into modern fantasy that I would start with The Phantom Tollbooth. But yes. dip, your, dip your toe into 
great children's fiction, yep. start with the Phantom Tollbooth. Yeah, yeah, I totally recommend that too. Uh, you know, my mom bought that book um, and read it to me as a child. And I, I remember it wasn't until years later that I heard anyone mention that book because for some reason, like at my grade school, no one ever mentioned that the Phantom Tollbooth at all. It was just, it just never came up. And I always thought, oh, that was just some book that she just happened to pick up and, and, uh, and, you know, but I'm really glad she got that because my memory of that, of that book was it, it was very imaginative and, and almost, a you know, it, it, it brings you on this journey. And I had never seen, I never had read anything like that when I was, when I was uh, a kid. So I was very amazed by that, that book and the illustrations in the book too were, Jules were, Piper were yes, yes, were, yeah. were um, very enjoyable too. So, but yeah, I totally agree, Jake. That is a, that is a huge loss. And, and um, yeah, I, I, I'm not surprised that you, it, it's a book for you that became a gateway for a lot more interesting reading because it is quite fantastic. Yeah. And it shows a love of language, right. That's really singular. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, I absolutely right and you don't have to be a child to read it you know just enjoy for for what it is i actually may pick that up because i i I haven't seen it for years i I, yeah i have a copy but i heard the just the dust jacket on it yeah so um yeah i I would love to get that replaced at some point but um i i have a, a pretty old so from when i was young um so anyway check that out so you know what i did um over the past week uh, I actually, so you don't have to. I watched the, the Snyder Cut. Oh yeah, and I watched <laughs> the Falcon and Winter Soldier. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. I, I, the best I can say about the Snyder Cut is that it's a better movie than yes. the the, um, the the original release. Yeah, it is a better movie. That said, one of my favorite terms to describe a movie bloated, it certainly is. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Dialogue. Very unsophisticated. <laughs> um, but it, it, there was a really a low bar for it to clear in order for yes. it to be well received. I think it's got something like um, 78% or something on the tomato meter, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Um, so if you have four hours to waste, <laughs> maybe you can see this yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, so. You know, Jake, I want, what I decided to do since it was four hours, I was, I was going to treat it like a, a Hulu Netflix show. And I, I watched maybe about an hour of it yesterday. Uh, and I watched I, and it I, two, two Oh, okay. Yeah. And I, and I knew that was for me, it was like, this is the best call because yeah, there is, there is a lot of um, exposition and, 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 the introduction to the characters. And I, I do know, um, I, setting up this story of what they call the unity boxes, you know, uh, the mother boxes. Dark, yeah. The which are box, in the comics. Yeah. 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 And, um, dark side, the, the, the big bad of. Right. From which, from, uh, which, uh, Thanos was created, right? Yes. Yes. Thanos yes. Was a direct rip off of dark side. Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, so it goes that way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's Kirby, like, uh, Jack Kirby designed dark side, right? Okay. Yeah. And then I, I, I think yeah. he did that for the new gods, right? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, actually, Darkseid was first in like uh, Jimmy Olsen uh, or Superman and his friend Jimmy Olsen or something like that. <laughs> oh my god! Jimmy Olsen is in the title of the comic book, but um, yeah, that's where he first. <laughs> that's a deep up. cut, Jake. Yeah, yes. that's, that's a deep, <laughs> deep cut. I can't, I can't even. I can't even testify that that's the actual title. But Jimmy Olsen is in the title. Um. So yeah, I I, I wouldn't watch it all in one sitting yeah. unless you're like drunk or high or something on a, <laughs> a drinking game or something. Every, time, every time someone says the word darkness, like take a drink, like yeah. you'll be, <laughs> um, but yeah, Falcon it's not bad. And, it's not bad. I, I would say, just yeah, finish that up is, um, I, I did mind that first hour and you know, it looks like a Zack Snyder film. I, I have to admit that I barely remember the, the Josh Whedon version because I, so I, yeah, I was it watching out. it and I, I I started falling asleep watching it, and so it wasn't that great. I, I will say, you're right. Maybe it didn't have a high bar, but I, I mean the the I can't say that I stayed awake in the first hour of this movie. So that is a so, so I so I um, 
So yeah, tell us about the Fal- Winter Soldier of Falcon. Um, I also watched it too, by the way. Yeah, that's okay. So you know, it's uh, mostly a- action-packed, punctuated by uh, moments of ironing and um, you know, uh, eating. Um, yes. So I, I think <laughs> part of the, the 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 point, I guess, is to show the heroes during their downtime that they're actually human beings and have lives. Yes. yes. Um, which I respect. Is it a innovative in a way that um, WandaVision was? No, mm-hmm. absolutely not. Yeah. Um, is it watchable? Yes. Yeah, definitely. I, I would certainly say it was the MCU TV show that I thought we were going to get. Yeah. So, um, and, and I, I enjoyed it too. I, I, but although I will say this, Jake, like once, uh, once Sam gives away his shield to the museum <laughs> and I didn't know that, that the, uh, the Johnny Walker version of Captain America would show up at the end of that. I'm assuming it's Johnny Walker, right? Is um, <laughs> I think it's a character called like the American American Patriot or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. Um, but but you knew you knew that like once you gave away that shield, someone's going to get it. Yeah, someone's going to pick that thing up. Yeah, and uh, it's it's funny seeing Sam's biggest his face is just crushed when he sees uh, the debut of the new captain America holding the shield. They just gave way to the museum to hold on to. And I was just like, you idiot. Yeah. Why'd you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Plus captain America wanted you to have it. (laughs) He gave it to you. He didn't say, put this at a museum. You know, yeah, well, you know, I I would imagine that perhaps he's going to spend the entire series deciding whether or not he really wants to be Captain America. Yes, yes, yes. yes perhaps yes. that's what's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> There's a certain inevitability about some of these Marvel products, you know, but um that that's why I find the the Winter Soldier part is to be probably a little more interesting because you're like, I don't know what this guy's going to do. Right. But I'm I'm thinking he's going to help Sam. <laughs> I'm thinking at some point he's going to put his arm through another wall. Uh, you know, that seems likely. Um, yeah, so watchable, right? I mean, it's yeah. not bad. Um, yeah. And, and hopefully it gets better, right? There's, you don't have that buddy, the camaraderie that I presume yeah. is going to develop over the course yeah, of the series, yeah. right? Because they haven't met each other yet in the, yeah. or, or they haven't um, come together yeah, in that yeah. first episode. Well, here, Jake, here's why I was wondering, though, when I was watching this movie, because when – when Bucky was called the Winter Soldier, he, the Winter Soldier is a bad guy. Yes, right. Yeah, but but they call it the sh- but now he's Bucky again. But they call the show Winter Falcon Winter Soldier. It should be called Bucky and the Falcon, right? Well, I mean, I I, I would put the Falcon <laughs> first. The Falcon and the Bucky. <laughs> <laughs> Why is it not called Bucky? Uh, maybe have that, that ring of uh, the gravitas, you know, that you, you get in the Winter Soldier. I, I just hope Bucky gets. Hey, this is show. my friend Winter Sh- Soldier, right? You know, like you better not mess with this guy. But here's my buddy Bucky. Like, I'm gonna kick his ass. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's it. I, I have well, no idea. all I all I hope for is once that character gets his own show, they call it. Just Bucky. <laughs> With a Isn't cool that theme song. <laughs> it's just Bucky. I like it. I like it very much. And I see the spinoff on the horizon. Can I recommend an opera? Oh, yeah, sure. Recommend I feel an terrible opera. about this, but I'm going to. Um, I don't feel terrible about it because I actually like opera. It's, but um, uh, I, I don't know if, you know, I have no idea about our listenership. <laughs> but the um, the Boston Lyric Opera has a video presentation of Philip Glass's uh, opera based on Poe's uh, Fall of the House of Usher. Okay. Um, it's a three-part story, a tripartite storyline, right, that includes the Fall of the House of Usher's plot, uh, this tale of a Guatemalan girl refugee, um, and uh, this sort of Rod Serling-like hostess who kind of presides over all this stuff. Plus, it's also um, a series of co- archival video images they're kind of peppered throughout. So there's a lot going on in this. Um, not equally successful. So the opera itself is um, enjoyable. It's in English. Um, for those of you who are <laughs> tend in that direction. Um, <laughs> but um, unfortunately, that piece, the fall of the House of Usher piece, is rendered in stop action with dolls. 
that for all the world reminds anyone who's watching, who has seen this, I guarantee you're going to think of Robot Chicken. And at some level detracts, I think, from the, uh, from the enjoyment of the experience, if, if you've ever seen a Robot Chicken episode. <laughs> um, there's also animation. So the Guatemalan Girl story uses more traditional animation. I think it's cut out, so it's still stop action. Um, but is uh, kind of beautiful and compelling in its own right. Um, and it all comes together in a way that makes it interesting, right? Ge- it's generally interesting to experience. And it's, um, I think it's 10 bucks. Um, so if you're, if you're looking for something different to do, if you're like, tired of Marvel and DC uh, product, you know, if you want something that's um, a little bit off the beaten path, like check this out. Um, I, I, I'm glad I did it. It was, it was worth it, I think. So, yeah, Jake, I, I'd have to say if he, that's that is a if he really wants something different, there's nothing more different than the MCU than the Philip Glass opera. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's all you had to say was Philip Glass opera. I know how I want out. something different. Yeah, but it's <laughs> different, but it's not. It's also accessible, right? It's not. It's not inaccessible. Um, okay. <laughs> and I, I think there's something to enjoy about it, even if you're not an opera buff. Well, well, I'll check it out. I'll check it out for sure. Uh, and then yeah. one other thing. I don't oh, know if that's go, time, but, go on, uh, go on. Uh, Lucky on Shudder. Okay. Um, stars uh, Brie or Bria Grant. She plays this uh, not altogether sympathetic self-help guru who finds herself caught in, it's it's like a time loop, but it's not. It's just the same events are kind of recurring. Um, night after night, uh, a male intruder breaks into her house and tries to kill her. Um, and she keeps thwarting his attacks, but gets more and more worn down. And uh, while this is happening, she's reporting the assaults every night. She's reporting to the police. And there's a, they you know do these cursory uh, investigations and they encourage her to buy mace. And, they, you know, uh, they're, they're completely ineffectual. And then eventually EMTs start descending on the scene and social workers and even her husband. And all of them are attempting to convince her that this is something that just happens. Like, home and, yeah, home invasions, are, they, this is just going to keep happening to you. Like, suck it up. Um, and it's really disturbing. Um, at times it's really funny and it's like super Kafka-esque. Wow. Wow. So, um, and this was clearly produced on a shoestring budget. Um, but it's an, you know, it's indicative of like, if you get a good script and a good lead, you can have a good movie. Um, and I think this is a good one. So it's uh, lucky on shutter. Good. Again, like if you want to kind of shy away from the mainstream a little bit, this is a, this is a good watch. I'll definitely check that out. Well, Jake, um, hey, I wanted to come up with an idea for the next time we do a what else. So, you know how I, I admitted to you, I watched Bridgerton the other day, the last episode or the two episodes ago. Well, I'd like to call that an Iotian black hole, meaning that's a, that's a, that's a, um, a basically a, 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 a non, a, a non science fiction thing that I shouldn't be watching. <laughs> it's, but it's, it's, and, and when you give yourself an Iotian black hole, that's it, it. You're on the honor system. You have to tell yourself, Hey, I, I, I did this thing where it, it took me away from reading. It sounds like horror or science fiction feelings that you need to work through. Maybe, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I, that would be an Iotian black hole, but you get an I, an Iotian star. If you read something that was just like completely, you know, the, um, and watching something like Babylon Five, you you get a you get an Iotian. So they balanced out in this case. Yeah, they're they're about ba- they're balanced. Right. So. I like that. So it's almost as interesting as the Blair scale. Uh, yes, exactly. Yeah, we're inventing <laughs> new well, yeah, systems every yeah, yeah. episode. <laughs> well, what, so, what what is the Blair scale on Lucky, by the way? Since you watched on Shutter, what's the oh, that's interesting. Um, it's not overly. Uh, not, give it a six. It's, oh, it's six heads. Uh, I mean, it's not. It's not particularly gory. Um, it is a, a thriller in a lot okay, of ways. Okay, all right, yeah. So, um, so there's there's plenty of suspense baked into it, but it's yeah, not a yeah. traditional horror movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's okay. terrific without being a horror movie. I yeah, yeah, yeah. See, I like the Blair scale. Now I know how uh, how much horror is in it when you give it six uh, Linda Blair heads. So I know. <laughs> <laughs> when you get to six there is vomit but you know it's not it's still like kind of trickle um gosh okay and on that note that's gonna way to end the show
Hey, listeners, um, we really enjoy talking about the big book of modern fantasy. And we want to thank you again for tuning in to listen to us. Uh, we do have a call out to action for the listeners. Please subscribe and please tell your friends about the show. We, we grow, we, we, we have grown, you know, really organically with the audience. And, and so if you like the show, please subscribe and, and tell a friend about it. And the other thing, the other thing you can do is write a review that does help us in, in an app like the, the Apple podcast app, because we get more visibility that way. Cause truly there's, there's really no other way to get visibility for the show. I mean, we're on Twitter where we even have an Instagram account, but that, that social networking aspect doesn't really necessarily get you um, more downloads. It really is our show topics and how we're found within a podcast app itself. So the more reviews you write and the more subscriptions we get, the, 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 the more the, um, the, uh, the algorithms for an app, like say Apple podcasts, can get us more visibility. So we thank you for listening and yeah, thanks everyone. Please write a review. Please write a good review. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's a good review. Mom. Come on, mom. That's cruel. (laughs) Well, thanks everyone. And we'll see you in the next episode. Jake, this was a fun episode. I enjoyed it. We'll see see you. We'll see you next time. All right. Take care, everybody. Thank you.